You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. You are now entering the Vicious Circle. And welcome to the Vicious Circle. Sid, how are you doing today? Rob, I'm doing great. And yourself? Uh, Just a happy camper because we get to record again. This is like amazing for me. Uh, Me too, Rob. I'm, I'm so looking forward to today. Now, the one thing I wanted to bring up, because uh, you and I have been chatting a lot, uh, you and Barry are getting very, very close with this book, aren't you? We're, uh, we've made more headway since you came. You and Barry came together um, a couple months ago, said it where me and Barry could communicate like you and I are communicating right now. We have, I never thought I'd get this far, and I never thought that I'd get on paper what I was looking for, and I'm really close to that. And that, to me, is big deal. I think it's amazing. I read a couple uh, chapters, you know, that Barry sent me and um, I've been wanting to see what you guys are writing, but I'm trying to keep my nose out of it because uh, <laughs> I want to be excited just like everybody else when they sit down and get to read it for the first time. Well, I hope so. Yes. Well, now we are going to get back into a little bit of wrestling because we've done a lot of extra stuff lately. Sure. So what I thought, the last time we, sp- we spoke, you were in the WWF, and uh, you had that bicep injury, which kind of pulled you out for a little bit. What do you remember about that injury? Like, do you remember what caused it? Yeah, what it was is, um, you know, a lot of places, in WCW too, but WWF was more like this, where we might do the same match for one month, two months with the same person, as long as we weren't in the same town. You know, mm-hmm. and so uh, me and Jake have been having the same match every night, and it was uh, I want to think it was a spot coming out of the corner. I was thinking a turnbuckle come out of the corner, and I would give him a clothesline, and uh, blah blah blah, something like that. So when I came out of there, he was he had his arms up, and he was like ducking, you know, like ducking me. So when I went to get him the clothesline, my arm hit his arm right there, and it tore my bicep. Oh, now how did that feel during the match? Cause I always wonder about this stuff in match, you know, certain things happen like, like the leg break. I understand that you, that kind of stops you. How do you keep going with something like that? Well, that was really just a, it was a tear and then a burn. Uh, you knew that it was a little hard to hold it up. Um, but you just got through it. As, you know, it, it was pretty close. But I think that was part of the finish was that was like my comeback right there. So, it was pretty easy to get through that right there. Then, now what the hard part was is, you know, getting undressed, getting the shower, getting my bags packed, and I was just so happy that was the last night of the tour. And uh, no knock to Jake, but this might not have happened if he wasn't drunk. Um, but anyway, the last night of the tour, thank for me, thank God for me, and um, 
so again, you know, getting your bag, getting in the car, getting to the airport, just lucky. My aunt Joyce was, it was in Orlando. So she got to come to the show. She helped me get to my car and, and then, you know, I followed her. She showed me how to get to the airport and then I got to the airport, but that was the hard part, getting your bags and bags claim and then getting back to my, you know, my car in Atlanta and getting home that night and then getting to the doctor the next day. And that was the hard part. You, oh, you waited overnight to go. Like you didn't go to the hospital that day. No, you couldn't. It was, it was the show was that night. Oh, you no. Know, so, so, I, you know, I'm going home. It's just lucky. I got a red eye that, you know, there was a light, a late flight going from Orlando to Atlanta because where me and my family were living was in Atlanta. If not, I would have to stay overnight in the hotel with my arm like that. So, um, that's how it went. Just like Rob, you know, this, when, uh, my old, my young, my youngest son was born. It was just by coincidence. I think we've talked about it that I was flying through Memphis that day, and I didn't, I didn't witness the birth, but I got to take a picture of him dropping back down in her arms and took off back to the airport. And so just, that's not just that's by luck. Normal. Yeah, by luck. Yeah. Jeez. So um, once you're diagnosed, how long before you had the surgery? It was like the next day. Oh, so it happened pretty fast. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's cool. How was it after that surgery? Because that's, I, I, I don't want to say a minor surgery, because honestly, it's a torn muscle, so it's obviously major. But it's not one of the major surgeries. So how long was the recoup on that? Man, I don't remember what it was. They had to put the staples in, put the skin back, you know, hold everything together. That was the hard part. But it was, um, man, I can't remember lengthwise. But you know what happens in a situation like that, Rob? I was sort of blamed for that, even though I'm not the one that was drunk and caused the spot to go wrong. But because I had to have surgery, I sort of took the heat for that for some reason. And uh, I think unnecessary. Well, I noticed it didn't take long before you were back at ringside, too, because they say that the operation was on the October 24th. But November 13th, you were back at ringside for a, a Randy Jake match. Right. So they got you right back into the show. Yeah, I was, I was in, when I was on the road, I still had my arm in a cast and I still had the staples in it. You know, so yes, I'm saying there is no break. You, you heal on the road, man. <laughs> you just keep going and push through. Yeah. I never forget having to go through the airports with my arm in a cast and all the staples and, you know. Oh, that's got to affect the metal detectors. <laughs> well, that wasn't really a lot of metal detectors back then like it is today, but. Still, just a you know a hassle, you know, to have one arm to carry all your bags with and have to do all that shit like that. Oh, no doubt. Especially when you're traveling on the road alone. Right. Well, from what I noticed, um, they got you back in the ring finally at the beginning of 92. You're back in the ring and your first match is against Skinner. Do you remember what it was like getting back in the ring after that surgery? I remember I was wearing an armband because I was scared of a little embarrassed of the scar. It still always had a little weird feeling like when I extend it and stuff, but you just sort of forget about that and, and just keep going. But uh, I don't remember the actual match against his name was Steve Kern uh, Skinner. I don't actually remember the actual match, but I'm sure there w- was one. Do you ever have trepidation? Cause I often wonder, you know, like, when you tear something like that, so you're not using it, you're exercising it. Now you're getting back in the ring for the first time. Do you ever have that worry that it's just going to happen again? No, I really didn't. No? 
That's no. okay. That's good. I know I would. That would be in the back of my head all the time. Maybe that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but then we finally get into uh, January nineteenth is the Royal Rumble. Uh, that that brought a lot of heat for Hogan on that particular one. Right. What do you remember about that show? Um, the biggest thing I wanted to find out: how much of that was a work? What do you mean? How much of it was a work? Um, because Hogan grabbed your arm and mm-hmm. held your arm out. Like obviously, that part must have been predetermined. Right. Okay. Right. Right. But like him getting booed. <laughs> no, that's really Rob. This is um, and we talk about the whipping post. This is probably. With the arm thing, that was probably the beginning of the whip and post. They sort of blamed me for that. Um, I won't go into the story about it. but um, And then um, this show in Albany, New York, uh, which you're talking about the Royal Rumble, this was really the night I gave my notice. Um, you know, we had done that, what you're talking about, and the people booed Hogan, which um, <clears throat> they had been trying to do little things like have me go the – ring before the matches started on during the matches where it was house show or TVs and say, say we were in Texas. I remember doing Texas say, you know, the first thing I smelled when I got off the plane today was shit or something, you know, where the people would boo as I came out or something. But when it came down, put me and Hogan in the same situation, they still booed him. So I remember that happening and, but I don't really, I wasn't caught up in it. I just remember I'm booing him. Uh, don't, of course we just keep going. Never, I never thought a moment about that. So we get back to the back, and um, Hogan is, is Albany's a sm- small, used to be a small arena. Uh, the hallways were small anyway in the back, and uh, Hogan started screaming out, "Vince, you you um, you planned this. You wanted this to happen." And screaming at him, I thought maybe first second I wanted to think that this was a work, but it wasn't. And so I had already. Talk, we've talked about Rob, and I think we talked about him in the Vicious Circle where I'd already – that was it, man. I'd had my feel of the, the things that just didn't come true, the things that didn't happen, and now this and so many different things. So I just went in and said, Vince, I want to shake your hand, buddy, and I'll tell you, thank you for everything you've, you've offered me. But, man, things haven't worked out, and I'm, I'm not be – and I was told him I was honest. I said, man, I'm just not ready for this place, and I wasn't. Um and I got ready for it, but I wasn't at that moment. Um, I just wasn't. And so he wouldn't shake my hand, and we agreed that I would at least stay to WrestleMania. And then uh, that's when he brought the Warrior back, and that was pretty much it. So when you said you weren't ready for the WWE, like you, uh, obviously you could have handled the, the show, the, the physicality. No, yeah, no. And- now there was a lot of hard work that came. Not to cut you off, Rob. I know what you're, where you're going with this. It wouldn't. There was a lot more hard work uh, that was involved there. Say, um, where you know, on your days off, you worked to promote the shows that were coming up in the future. Which, uh, if you were on top, that was that was part of your gig, and you didn't get paid for those days. So that was one thing I could handle that, but I just really wasn't ready for that environment. Where uh, again, we I've t- said this and. WCW was more like a, uh, you know, it was a, it was a family, it was a, it was a real business where this was really a couple steps back towards the carnival era, you know, and then, it, then it was high pressured where the, um, you know, um, I don't know, it was just so, 
you have to, I, I get this, you had to be a stooge to you know survive there. And I just wasn't, and I never did that anyway, but I wasn't, I didn't know how to prepare myself for all this, the, these things I had to later on, which, uh, again, I did the same thing later on was I figured how to deal with those things and just pay attention to what I have to do. And, and really that was it. I think maybe too, a lot of part of it might've been because this is the point when uh, the WWF it's, it's still getting its feet on the world stage because it hadn't been a global company for very long. Not very long. Right. No. And then it was basically when WCW really blossomed that it became, they both became a world powers almost. They became global, not territorial anymore. Right. So everybody's still, this is a new kind of thing. You know, I get why there would be such a difference between WCW and WWF because they're both trying different business plans. Well, right. WCW was a television company. So, um, there wasn't as much pressure to say, have the arena sold out. And that's how we got paid. Or right, So when that, all those things are happening and then, if you're not getting paid by by where you're on the card, so you want to like maybe I go say, hey Vince, you know what? I caught Rob picking his nose today. Make me main event because he doesn't deserve to be main event. You know, and they go, okay, Sid, you're main event. We caught Rob picking his nose. You know, I just couldn't do that. Uh, I remember being put in the position to, you know, I remember Pat called me one time and said, hey man, Sid, why don't you call Vince sometime and say, I said, what for? What does he need to talk to me about? He goes, he just wants to see how you're doing. I went, okay. So I called Vince one morning. Say, hey, Vince, it's Sid. What's going on, Sid? Well, was Pat just said to call in and check in sometimes. Okay, me see. He said, uh, you worked with Bayer last night, 17 minutes. Good response. Good match. That was it. I said, okay, see ya. <laughs> so I did that for two or three days, got the same deal. And then it hit me. What their warning was for me to say, hey, I caught Rob picking his nose, you know, and, uh, this guy drinking too much and uh, this guy doesn't like you or whatever, you know, that's why I said, you know, Rob, uh, th- for me, that's why I didn't look at a booking sheet. Uh, I didn't care who I was working with. I did all the things to prepare myself for once I got there and I did the best I could. And I think you and I have talked about this a lot. I think that's why I, uh, I didn't let this business affect me like the other people it has affected them. And then that's what I think I was able to get myself off that whipping post because I didn't see it like everybody else did. I think you're right. Um, like you said, you were on the business side. Everybody else is on the, the wrestling side. You know, they've, they've been in the business. They've grown up. They eat, live, and breathe it. So when they're not that icon, that means a lot to them for that reason. Right. Okay, I get that. I never really thought of it that way. Well, so now, once this starts, they start building up for WrestleMania, which is going to be you and Hogan. Right. When they brought that idea to you, like, how much influence did you have in the direction they were going to take? Well, when the first idea first got brought up, Rob, that was going to happen. That was going to be my first match working for the WWF. Up to then, was it going to be TVs and pay-per-views, no house shows. Oh, so this is then way I- back. Yes, yeah, so this was the plans for me when I came in. And that at that show, whoever it be was going to be Hogan, I was going to take the belt and then become world champion and do my first house show after that. Now, that would have been a heck of a deal, you know, to have got that much buildup 
that say six, eight, nine months, whatever it would have been, of build up anticipation. Now, because after WrestleMania, traditionally that's when they struggle. You know, they have a hard time. So that would have gave something different for them to go into someone who you haven't seen in a house show before, but he's coming in. He's coming in as a champ. I said, I thought that made a lot of sense. Uh, that's what we were supposed to have done. So they just, they, like you said, the substitute came in. They switched everything around. So now they're deciding, okay, let's let's do this. Right. Um, it was January twenty seventh, so it wasn't even a week later. They had you guys in a tag match, and it was against Flair and Taker. And that's when you walked off the off the apron, kind of left Hogan right. to his own devices. Right. Is this what their seed was? This was them beginning this story? Right. This is something, too, if if you watch enough of WWF or WWE, they do that for every time. They, and they think that is the greatest form of achievement of heat in this business, which I disagree. And it didn't work for them. I didn't get heat. I, I still got cheered. But they think if you, you walk away like that, which it does, it brings what we call, some of us call, Cheap heat, but I didn't need cheap heat. You know what I mean? I think that all comes and you know comes true later on. But um, they thought I did. So even with the cheap heat, they couldn't get the people to boo me and cheer Hogan. Well, see, I remember that period vividly, and, and my cousin. Oh, you remember Pete? He came down that first time we visited. That was during the period where we were watching, and both of us were getting tired of Hogan because right. of how much they shoved him at you. Right. So I think that's what the people were going by. Like I said, they booed him at uh, Royal Rumble. Now you're walking away from him because you're fed up with him, just like the people were. Right. I didn't think about that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because I know that's that's one of the things that uh, triggered Pete into really liking you. From what, from what I remember the stories back then, and again, I'll get him to clarify because I might be wrong, but uh, that's one of the times I remember him cheering you. <laughs> right, right. So it was like being the anti-hero. There we go. You know? Yep. Tired of the normal. So you walked out on him, and then it was... Um, and now this is what's interesting, and I got to remember the dates. It says on the 27th, you did the barbershop. Right. With, uh, with Brutus, and that's where you trash the barbershop. Right. And this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about more too, about how you guys filmed them, because that didn't air until February 28th. So it was almost a month later that it actually aired. Right. How did that barbershop come around? Was this something that they said, this is what you're going to do? Or did you just go in there and, and thought, okay, this is a spur of the moment? <clears throat> no, this is what, uh, first of all, they came to me, you know, that's a television day, I'm sure. Um, so they said later on we're going to have you, you know, trash the barbershop, and they were going, that was the end of the barbershop, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so I did all that in that shaving cream. It just accidentally, which made a good look, it sort of busted open and came on me everywhere. But Rob, this is, and I don't know this, but this is what I, I believe. <clears throat> I think when, and I've done this myself, brought people into the territory or into the business and. Things didn't work out where like one time I brought in a guy named Big Bully Music and he just didn't work out and they tried and I tried to help him. He just um, he, he just couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. And so 
um, they came to me and said, help him this week. If he doesn't make it, he's going to be on his way out. And that's how fast you'd be on your way out in the WWF in one week. So I even, they had this thing set up with Virgil and he just, again, couldn't do it. And then the very next week, you know, sort of punishment to me, not punishment, but okay, you're going to bring him in. You're going to beat him on the way out. You know what I mean? This is your friend. It was your idea. So I remember doing that. I think that was a sort of to Hogan, you know, okay, this is your brother. You made us bring him in. We had to pay him. Uh, you've given us problems. I don't know that he ever gave him problems, but maybe that he did. Okay. This is sort of what happens. Now the guy that's taking your place is going to, you know, end your brother's career. Oh, you know, okay. I, I, I really think that had, I think that there was something to that. I can see that. I really can. Cause yeah, I, I, I'm, Drawing a blank if there was any more barbershops after that. Now uh, I, I don't know this, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna bet you there wasn't, Rob. I will find out. We'll we'll make sure because yeah, I think you're right. I really do. And now, just on a side note, what's it like doing those vignettes back then? Like, because there was Piper's Pit, you know, like they brought out all these different things. How did that work into um, being in the show? Like, I don't know if that question came across right. I, it didn't, but this is what I think you're trying to say. Is this the thing where I think about those things like the, the barbershop and the Piper's Pit? I think that was just for them thinking of a way to put, and you call it a vignette. We call vignettes little videos they put together in the back that illustrate sort of this, you know, that it was a newer way of doing like a Piper's Pit or something. They would do it in the back or where it might be shows like some guy picking up a car and turning it over or someone getting jumped in the back or the walk-in or um, someone drinking in the back or someone watching, you know, all the, those are what we consider vignettes. And, and then I think what you're, what you're saying is probably correct. The Piper's Fits and the beefcake things and the things like that, the barbershops, those were like beginning stages of vignettes, you know what I mean? Or, and I think it also was just for a filler for sometimes for t- TV, you know, to have something to get a little time in. Well, and I get to, a lot of times they, you know, progress stories, like the infamous Coconut with with Jimmy Snuka and Piper. That started a feud, you right, know. Right, right. I'm actually wondering. Well, I, I bet all those things do go into a feud or end a feud. I'm, I'm thinking now, uh, and this actually just came to my head. I would have wrote it down earlier. I think this was the precursor to their sports table. You know how they have the, the chat tables now afterwards, like in sports. You watch right. a football game, and then for an hour afterwards, you have the breakdown. They have people at desks interviewing people, and that was their beginning of that. They could only do it during the show because they didn't have an actual after show. Right. So that was their their interview. Their, I get that now. Okay. I don't know why that just came to me now. <laughs> right. And we, could, and we could be wrong, too. No, no, that's true. Probably not. We're never wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I, the one thing I noticed too, at this point, and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, this is when the stretcher matches seem to, or not stretcher matches, but the stretcher incidents seem to start where you would put people out on stretchers and then kick them off. Was it around those, this period? Those were, those were done in WCW. Oh, really? Yeah. Those, that's where it started was in WCW, and that was before I actually went to the WWF for the first time. And then when I came back, we um, we went back into some stretcher matches after after my lung surgery, before Dusty came in, and the, I don't... 
remember if there were any after that. I'm sure there were sometimes, but that's when the stretch matches, for the most part, were WCW. I might have done a couple in the WWF. I just don't remember it. Maybe that's what it was. They were so rare because this is in the research that I've been doing. This is the only right. time they're mentioned is during this last period. Right. So maybe because it was so rare there. But yeah, you're right. Most of that stuff was WCW. Right. That's where it, was, it came from. I think Oli was the first to do it. And then that's when I had my lung surgery. I came back. And by that time, <clears throat> Dusty's coming in as a booker. And he has Magnum TA there. And then we started it back up. Because I remember... Uh, picking up the intensity of the stretcher things uh, and that were, you know, that's what's hard is like how do you pick up the intensity so if you watch some of those I'm actually pushing guys out of buildings like at 80 miles an hour and back into the parking lots you know I'm sure those guys wish they had a night off that night <laughs> but, uh, I'm we're running them into the wall just all kind of crazy stuff you know that's the, that was the part I liked and it must have been the WCW stuff that I really liked because you're right you, you destroyed them in the match Right. And, and you're going, wow, that guy's not going to walk for a while. But then you get on a stretch, and then you just keep going. And you're right. It just builds that momentum that, uh, oh, my God, leave the guy alone. Right, exactly. Yes. Well, actually, we are kind of close to the end. We might have to stop this one here. We'll get to a question, and then we can pick this up in our next episode and finish off your first, att- or first uh, visit to the WWF. Good enough. All right, let's get to that question. My time. And it's that time again. Time for a question. We have Mike from Virginia. Mike, what have you got for us? Hey, uh, Sid, I, I I wondered what your opinion and perspective was when, I don't know if you've heard that AEW is actually supposed to be having a second show now. Do you think that they're really biting off too much right now, or do you think they could handle that? You know, you, know, you said they're fixing to start a second show. When, when are they going to? air that second show i'm not exactly sure i know that they've signed the contract with uh i guess tnt right going for the next couple years with dynamite but they've also signed on to do another show well i think it's almost um almost i think it's a must for them to do that to compete you know you know vince has got monday night raw he has the wednesday night show against them then he has a friday night show with fox uh, that's got to be, I mean, even if, you know, his shows are down, that Fox station has got to be, I think that's the strongest station they've ever had, in my opinion, for WWE. So I think it's a must for AEW to get another show. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.